2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: You're listening to the Room 104 podcast. FM 104. You're listening to Room 104 with Trish and Kev. Right now, we are joined once more by our resident film critic, Rory
2: Kybird. How are you? Great. Great to see you. Hey, Rory. How's it going, Trish?
0: Oh, good today. It's nearly the end of the week, so I am Delira. Yes.
2: Hell yeah. You
3: are <laughs> so close now, I can taste it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Rory, you've been looking at what to watch uh, for us this weekend. For those of us who are spending the weekend on the sofa, um, tell us about the first show you've been looking at, which is called The Dropout, right?
2: Yes, the dropout directed by Liz Merriweather, um, who also made that show New Girl. Um, so it basically tracks the rise and fall of billionaire grifter Elizabeth Holmes. I don't know if you guys followed her story at all. She was... You yes. Know, familiar, familiar with her? Yeah, oh,
3: I, I, I listened to a podcast about her. This is the blood machine girl, right?
2: That's correct. Yes, oh. the blood machine girl. <laughs> uh, yet that's another correct. swindler. The culture just has such an appetite for these swindler stories right now. Yeah, I so can see why they are kind of... Intriguing. They're gripping. Yeah. Uh,
3: for those of us who don't know, what is the story behind this one?
2: Right. So basically, Elizabeth Holmes, um, when she was growing up, she always wanted to be um, famous and a CEO and an inventor, basically. And she worshipped Steve Jobs. So uh-huh. later on, you see her kind of modeling her, even her clothing on Steve Jobs.
0: Oh, what a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. And she's like, she is like something of a precocious kind of child. She's w- like a Wonderkind, but she doesn't hesitate to cut corn. And she's no qualms about doing that in order to like to reach the top. So her tragic flaw is kind of like she wants to get there no matter what, even if the product she's making is kind of shitty, as this <laughs> product turned out to be. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a story of how um, good intentions can be soured by ambition. Uh, at any costs mm. uh, the big claim as you touched on kev there by this company Terranus is the name of the company yeah. which is like a composite word of therapy and diagnosis is that they could basically do a blood test in a matter of seconds so she wanted to make kind of tech like steve jobs you know mm. so but she wanted to help people as well so she, the tech would uh give you a blood test very quickly just with a pinprick not an injection and instantly it could tell you what diseases you have could in theory, but it's just not the way it worked out. Um, at the st- it's good because it's oddly sympathetic. The show, it you kind of, even though it's terrible that they're lying to people, and what ends up happening is they fake. Uh, the test for investors Mm. Um, even though that happens you can kind of because it sort of worked at the start or it worked a little bit but not enough and they're kind of rationalizing it like oh well it's not working now but it will later we'll just lie to these investors so it's kind of human the way they do it which really gets you kind of gripped but I mean there's no excuse for what they ended up doing because it's also people's health is on the line as well you know Mm. Um, it's actually it's a good show I would say it's solid it's occasionally a bit clunky some of the dialogue like it explains itself too much but the story is, you know, very engaging, and it's just such a great story, it's just, and it's all true as much as, a, you know, a, a written script can be true anyway. I think they tried to keep as close to the facts as possible, certainly more than uh, uh, Inventing Anna did, which kind of just went off on its own thing and sort of glorified <laughs> Anna Delphi to a certain extent. But. That's not really fair because I haven't really seen all of that, so I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> oh, I finally
0: finished it by the way. Yeah, no, no.
3: <laughs> oh, you didn't really like it. Did.
0: The first couple episodes, yeah. yeah, I did get into it, and then I'd say after episode four, five, six, I just started to wane. It it became too much of a drama, like How you would Yeah, too long. So as I well. think there's eight or nine in it, and I'm telling you, after five, it just Screw goes it down. very downhill. It's too like a weird T V show. Element. Yeah. Like you, were, you were explaining it really well last week and I, I totally got what you said.
2: It seems like the consensus on that is that it doesn't really get to the core of her either. Whereas this, we really, actually, I watched this documentary about this uh, story before by Alex Gibney. It was called yes. The Inventor uh, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. And I actually feel like this is explaining in a way better. And it's all down to one thing. It's down to Amanda Seyfried's performance, which Mm. is one of the greatest performances I've seen in a long time. It is astonishing because in that documentary um you see a lot of archive footage and let me tell you Amanda Seyfried is not it's not just an imitation it's like goes way beyond that it's like a, she's like totally embodying this person it's it's actually kind of freaky it's kind of it's kind of scary <laughs> she becomes her it feels like she is her watching it
3: uh, does it show any moment uh, like uh, a moment where this girl chooses to become corrupt or uh, do mm. we see that she's always had this kind of little maybe personality trait to begin with or is there an exact moment where she says I want to fa- I'm gonna just fake it all now I'm gonna fake these results.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's kind of um, I think her uh, intentions are sincere and good, but um, she is in over her head and she's more interested in succeeding than getting it right at the end of the day. So it's more out of a sense of panic and trying to keep the you know the thing on course that she does start to lie and does uh, commit fraud. Mm. Uh, and just Amanda Seyfried really, na- like, she she kind of nails, kind of rooting for and because she's in a mm. male-dominated world, you know, and it's kind of, you could see why this story has a lot of, you know, could provide a lot of hope for people, but, you know, she is in and over her head. She, oh, she really nails some of the uh, ticks that uh, Elizabeth Holmes has, like these kind of uh, this kind of shy smiles she has, and then this kind of laser focus. Mm. Then this creepy thing happens er- later in the show where she... Adopts a new voice to sound more commanding, so she adopts a voice like this, and she's trying to sound like the tech bros. Very interesting performance, uh, incredibly skillful. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then it is the best thing about the show for sure. But there's some other people crop up with, in a kind of interesting roles as well. Uh, William H Macy plays one of her enemies. Mm. He's very cranky in it. He's quite funny. Stephen Fry shows up weirdly in it. Um, I didn't. He was pretty good in it. And it's kind of hard to forget you're watching Stephen Fry if you mm. you know one of those kind. It's like oh, that's Stephen Fry. I don't mm. believe he works for this company, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I really like this uh, show. I'm really enjoying it. It's three episodes in. It's um definitely worth your time. It definitely plays it more straight than mm. Inventing Anna did. Uh, yet another, uh, it does not invite comparisons because it's yet another show about a grifter who kind of amasses clout uh, with people just because she's kind of charming and people people kind of believe her lie, you know. And they they kind of the lie is sort of infectious, you know. Uh,
0: In the dropout. Um uh, podcast. She is very intelligent, so you get. She the definitely infer- is intelligent. Yeah. yeah. So when you're it, when you're watching it, are you believing it because of her intelligence just as much as you would when you were listening to the podcast?
2: Are you believing in her intelligence? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. There's a mixture. It's a weird combination of ambition, intelligence. And then naivety as well. And
0: narcissism, a
2: little bit. Huge amount of narcissism. Yeah. Yeah, Big time. Yeah, she's really just, she's got, and, you know, she's got this ruthless streak that isn't there at the start, but it develops because she talks to other CEOs and like, you got to start firing people. So there's a scene where she fires someone, you know, for very small infraction, you know, and it is kind of all about how her morality erodes the more and more she tries to keep this... P- terrible product <laughs> Going you know So it's, it's a tragedy It's a tragic story But it's a fascinating one And a career best performance By Amanda C. Fry. So I would wow. give it Four stars Just she elevates it Seafried for sure okay. I hope I'm saying her name right Seafried I thought
3: it was Seafried let's say-free. start
2: again <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we'll just bleep it out <laughs>
3: okay so four stars for the four dropout stars. not bad at all what not have we got bad. next
2: so next up is uh, Sean Baker's um, new release out tomorrow called Red Rockets uh, Sean Baker what a great interesting filmmaker he is uh, in the past he's made a uh, film totally on iPhones called um, Tangerine about transgender sex workers that was very very fun uh, more recently he did a film called The Florida Project which is actually my fa- one of my favourite films of the last 10 years he's, mm. he kind of casts people who are first time actors or non-professionals and he really gets into the community he's depicting it's almost like some of them are real so it almost feels like documentary even though it's not this time around um, it's kind of a character study it focuses on on uh, a character played by this actor, Simon Rex. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He's, you've definitely seen him before. He's mm-hmm. one of these kind of zelig like figures who crops up every now and again. He's was in Scary Movie. Like, he's an actor. Yeah. He essentially is an actor, but...
0: Who was he in say, Scary Movie? What he's like
2: character? in Scary Movie 9. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know he's, he's that one,
3: doesn't count. <laughs>
2: yeah. He's in the one with, like, Charlie Sheen or something. Oh, yeah. He hasn't had a glorious career on screen okay. and he's had all these kind of um, what would you say off the beaten track careers he became a comedy rapper for a while <laughs> and then he was uh, what's interesting about this though is he is um, playing a guy who's a washed up porn star and in real life he has done some solo pornography himself when I say solo, that means he's uh, tending to himself rather than tending to someone else, if you oh wow. if you get the picture.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, wow. yeah. But that kind of mirrors Sean Baker's tendency to cast people who are very close to the reality, because he's a guy who's kind of fast-talking, he's been in L.A., he's come back now, now to his kind of quagmire home in Texas. He comes back to his uh, estranged wife, Lexi, and she just doesn't want anything to do with him. Uh, she was also a porn performer, and she's living with her uh, mother, Lil. They're both first- actors, really good, uh, really kind of, they feel really real. And he's fast talking, he's saying, oh, just let me stay with you for a while till I get back on my feet. It's very clear he's fallen on hard times. It's unclear what exactly, but he's got bruises and stuff. It's clear Whatever was happening in LA didn't go well, and um, so they very reluctantly let him in when he flashes the cash. Uh, his his porn name back in LA was Mikey Saber. <laughs>
3: oh. <laughs> I always have to have a porn name,
2: yeah, for you know, yeah, to be the part he he played. Uh, um, the, the, he claims the reason he fell in hard times was he was in this porn series uh, that was based on the f- Fast and the Furious, and it was called the Fast and the Fury Ass. But he played the Paul Walker character, and of course, poor Paul Walker oh. died. So yeah. then his counterpart in the porn is gone. Oh <laughs> so my god! It's kind of a weird reason for him to be back. But anyway, so it's basically just tracks him trying to. Basically, kind of grift a bit, and another grifter uh, trying to get, you know, trying to get a job initially. But when they find out he's a porn, a former porn star, It's his employment uh, prospects just dry up. So he uh, ends up selling a bit of weed. Uh, so it's kind of just him coming home, a character study. But then, when things start to get interesting and also a bit uncomfortable, is he falls for this local girl in a donut shop. And she is very... She's disconcertingly young-looking. Hmm. And he completely falls for her. And then they start a sexual relationship. And it turns out she's 17. So so as oh, he says, he's relieved. He goes, oh, she's legal as an eagle, you know? Ooh. So at this point, we're like, oh, this guy's scuzzy and he's a dirtbag. But what the film does that's kind of interesting is it, it doesn't... It's He's not a villain, but he's not a good guy. He's like... It's very morally ambiguous. It's a gray area. It's very gray, and it doesn't tell you how to feel. You have to kind of figure it out for yourself. And at times you're kind of charmed by him, and at times you're disgusted by him. And I find that moral ambiguity quite exciting. It's like a kind of seventies movie, you know, like Midnight Cowboy or something. So um, basically, it gets worse then because he they start. He, Having a relationship and there's some sweetness in it, but it's just totally wrong because he's like, he's he looks good for his age, but he's approaching fifty and she's only seventeen. great oh. it's, it's fucked. Like, oh. but, <laughs> oh my but you, you you feel mixed emotions. That's why it's good. It it challenges you to make up your mind about how what you feel about what you're seeing. Like, mm. Um. So then it gets worse because he's like, oh, I see porn star potential in oh, strawberry. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no. You're like, oh no, is he? And then she's kind of open as an And of course she's very naive because she's only seventeen. She's so. a child. Yeah, she's a child. So um, I was pretty gripped when I was, I was kind of got really interested in the film that was like,, what's gonna happen here? The film though, it's like it is intent on staying kind of funny. So I feel like it should have uh, grabbed the nettle more. I think it could have turned dark. Yeah, I mean the darkness is there, but it doesn't really flower. It's okay. like you feel like this can only go one way, and it's like the film backs out before that happens. Um, it's going to happen, but it's just like the film backs out. So I feel the Florida Project didn't do that. It showed the tragic consequences of uh, the characters' decisions when they're kind of uh, forced to make drastic decisions because of poverty and whatnot. But in this, it just kind of you get the impression we're here to have a laugh more than anything else so the film kind of ends a bit so actually most films i think go on too long this one i would have liked a bit more if it felt okay. like it ended a bit prematurely but it's still a great film a great singular voice this guy he's making films like no other person and also fun and it's quite fun there's um there's N NSYNC song straight the film. Stop, kind of a weird, really flourish, Yeah, I kind of like that.
0: You've sold it to me, <laughs> I so did have they, to go see. Rise by, by
2: NSYNC features oh heavily in the film. So, <laughs> so, anyway, so they must expensive.
3: they gave their permission for that, <laughs> obviously. Have done, I guess. Yeah, yeah so. I'd say they must. Yeah, they, they must, must have done. be fans. <laughs> <all of them. laughs> I
2: don't know. Like, yeah, let's resurrect this our career. Maybe they'll come back. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I always forget about them because obviously Justin Timberlake became such a big star after yeah. that. But uh, yeah, also. To continue the trend, uh, the big trends in 2022 is grifters and full frontal male nudity. Yeah. This film has
3: both. Plenty, <laughs> does it?
2: Yeah. Uh, Simon Rex, uh, you see his sizable <laughs> dung, his saber, Mikey saber, saber, you see it. So wow. there's a lot of things for the girls uh, in this one. <laughs> and some guys. And some guys, of course. Yeah. Let's not generalize. What could,
3: you, what could you compare it to?
2: Good question. Yes. So it does have this scuzzy sort of Marley, ambiguous feel like a lot of 70s films. So, yeah, I would say Midnight Cowboy was the one that came to mind. Um, probably any film where there's a huge age gap relationship, mm. you could kind of uh, – what's that one with uh, Marlon Brando and um – not Lolita. Berlin. Yeah, Lolita is a good example. Yeah, anything yeah. where there's that kind of vibe, mm. but it's very you know realistic as well. It's and it's it's got a sense of kind of communal warmth, and you feel like he he doesn't he doesn't patronize his characters. He feel like he understands them. He's almost like he's an insider looking out. Right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when po- uh, impoverished communities are depicted, it's kind of just so depressing. You know, this phrase "poverty porn." Yeah,
3: there's a kind
2: of uh, vitality to these people and their lives even though there's some more questionable things of course
3: okay so remind us again what it's called and what's your star rating
2: so the name of the film is Red Rocket by the director Sean Baker and I would actually it would have been approaching five if it wasn't for that issue I mentioned of it kind of losing the courage of his convictions when it comes to the consequences for the characters so I'd peel it back to a four kind of high four though uh, and The Florida Project I don't think it quite beats that which is his masterpiece so far for me people may disagree but I'd say that would be a five so oh a five yeah yeah, that's definitely worth checking out it's a great movie The Florida Project well that
0: was a good sell
3: I really want to watch that oh you
2: should definitely watch that Yeah.
3: okay so what's last on your list
2: yes so last up here we have Sorry, I was thinking of some of my copies. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite well, alright. Last up here, I just have to be hydrated for this one. <laughs> this one's important. Um, we have pieces of her, which is based on kind of like an airport crime novel by a woman called Karen Slaughter. And this woman clearly knows what she's doing. She sold thirty-five million copies wow. of twenty-one novels uh, in one hundred and twenty different countries. Wow! But like this is the weird. I read online. This is the first thing that's been adapted, which is a bit odd. You would think like. I think yeah. there'll be more. Is You've there that much output. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh, they, someone said maybe there's a sexism at play because maybe mm. male crime authors are more embraced for that. and I don't know if that's true. That could be true. Um, is it
0: along the lines of women can't write crime.
2: Maybe, yeah. Maybe oh. something like that. It has the ring of truth to it, but uh, I suppose it's speculative. But anyway, mm. finally there is an adaptation here. And... This has been getting kind of bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I thought it was a good crack. I had a good time with this. <laughs> it kind of rips along. It's unpretentious. It's fun. Uh, probably, you know, it's basically the premise for what it is. Is There's this nice kind of, uh, you know, coddling mother and her kind of lost 30-year-old daughter who doesn't really know what to do with herself. Is kind of, you know, just is a bit of an underachiever, I guess. Then, basically, they're in this... um Uh, cafe and there's this really creepy looking guy who has this kind of murderous look on his face and he makes good on that murderous look because he starts just shooting people in the cafe God God, this sequence was so good it's such a shocking sequence it it doesn't pull back on the violence so trigger warning but anyway a bit like that film History of Violence Tony Mm. Collette's character just dispatches of the guy very easily and shows a kind of aptitude with weapons that's a bit conspicuous like why is she so good at this? Turns out she has a mysterious past maybe she's a spy you know um, so it basically goes from there then it, it, the a video someone films the incident in the cafe which goes viral and uh, as a result of that uh, people are looking for the shadowy organisation is trying to track her down and uh, you know it's kind of like a page turner as a mm. as a TV show but the thing that makes it really watchable is Toni Collette she's like it's such a kind of ridiculous premise and it's very you know preposterous but because she's such a good actress you believe it when you're watching it yeah. she, she's just so believable you know She's she she just makes scenes More true than they have Any business being You know Uh, It's lightweight as all hell You know I was kind To be honest I was The phone might have come out A few times It's not to say I wasn't enjoying it but like you know, it's not something that you requires... could take your
3: eyes off it a little
2: you bit. You take your brain off it. You take your eyes off it. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, I'm I still live... <laughs> I'm still be very much with the plot. I to cutting the lot. I wasn't there like, for most Cut of it, but <laughs> the lo- playing the lotto. I thought you were say. Yeah, like p- podcast. You're vaguely <laughs> interested in you could throw it on. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's good. Like it's fun. Yeah. It's a laugh. Um, it's you know, it's kind of a. It's, it's dark. But in a kind of ridiculous way, you know, it's violent, it's shocking in places, but it's strangely believable because of Tony Collette's incredible acting chops.
0: She's carrying the whole show on her back, is carrying she carrying it
2: on her back, <laughs> elevating the thing beyond uh, like a bit? Amanda, well, Amanda Seafried elevates the drop, uh, the drop in, mm. and but that is pretty good though. The script, this is like it's, she's just raising it up like big time I don't even I don't really know why she's in it it's odd like, I would have thought maybe she just thought it sounded like a laugh herself <laughs> just wanted to you know be a spy you know why yeah, not? I suppose why we that? don't want to be spies now yeah. again this
3: sounds like one you could definitely watch as a couple the- oh
2: big time yeah. it's a good compromise one <laughs> it's a good compromise <laughs> show yeah 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 it's fun it's really fun and you know it's, it's good to watch something that's just a bit of a laugh sometimes unpretentious bit of crack okay throw it on
3: so, give us the name of this one and your big star review. Yes,
2: I will give it pieces of her, the name is the name, and I will give it three stars for being a lot of fun. Um, and, but, you know, it's not high art, but it's a lot of fun, and Tony Collette gives it her all one of the most committed performances (laughs) I've seen in a while. It just, it's not in an art house film. It's in a very silly kind of spy story. But, you know, sometimes it's fun to have a silly spy story in your life. Mm, Mm, Fab. Uh, So what's your pick of the week, actually? (laughs) It's a tricky one because I really like Red Rocket and I'm kind of just just stunned by Amanda Seyfried's performance. I think just because it's so distinctive uh, and it's doing, it feels kind of fresh, I would go with Red Rocket. But you could easily pick... uh, uh, the dropout as well, if that sounds okay. like more like your cup of tea, I, you would definitely do. Uh, it's definitely a good choice. Its three episodes have been out, and I think another one's coming out today. So,
0: and what are we watching these on? Mm.
2: Ah, yes. So we're watching um, uh, the dropout on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. or is it Hulu? They're kind of
3: no, it's Disney Plus in these waters. Oh,
2: Hulu isn't here. Nope. Because I saw both. Okay. That. Thanks for clearing that up.
3: No actually. problem. <laughs> and these shores, it's Disney Plus.
2: These shores, no Hulu. Okay. <laughs> Um, And then the other one Well so we're seeing Red Rocket in the cinema Just a cinema release uh, For now And then also Pieces of Her On Netflix
3: Okay Okay A good spread there. Good spread, yes. Rory, thank you so much, yeah, as ever, pleasure, for guys. joining us. Cheers, Thanks so Rory. much. Have a good one. See you next Bye. week. You're listening to the Room 104
2: podcast. FM
3: 104.
0: It's Trish and Kev on Room 104. Now, a new study has found that ketamine effectively silences suicidal thoughts, especially in bipolar patients. Now, we have study author Dr. Ricardo DiGiorgi from the University
4: of Oxford.
0: Welcome to the show. Can you take us through the study and how we came up with this?
4: Yes, of course. So the, the study uh, is a randomized controlled trial, which sounds a bit like a mouthful, but it, it basically just means that um, people get randomly assigned, so they have a fair chance of getting either treatment uh, with the medication, in this case was ketamine, or with a placebo, a control condition. Mm. So the, the, the only difference between these two uh, study arms, as they are called, should be the, the assignment to the medication or not. And uh, ketamine and a control condition in this case was saline solution where uh, ad- ad- administered to, to, to patients and then these patients were assessed at different at different time points um, for their suicidal ideation. And so what was th- found was... So sorry. there were
0: three groups... You're saying three groups were in this study altogether and each group were giving different medication, one placebo so there,
4: were, there were two groups, two. Uh, one taking the medication and the other group taking placebo. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the data from all these people was, was analyzed, subdividing them into three further subgroups, if it makes sense. Okay. One including patients having bipolar disorder uh, so we would have people with bipolar getting either the medication or the placebo, okay. and then another subgroup was people with depression, with a diagnosis of depression, again being divided, uh, medication versus placebo, and then a, a third subgroup with people with other um, conditions related to their mental health, yeah. um, again divided into two into two groups, medication versus placebo okay in this context is quite different from the way it's normally used in uh, uh well normally used in uh, uh in cases of people getting addicted to it especially if you, if you think about the doses the doses are completely different they're very minimal uh they the, the administration of of the medication happens in a very uh controlled environment there is a medic there is a number of nurses healthcare professionals involved in uh, in the administration of it the rooms tend to be prepared in a very specific way and people are get get monitored th- throughout the administration so quite different setting from one w- w- what might 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 expect otherwise ricardo can you talk us through how the study was
3: carried out who was involved what were the ages of the the people being tested and and over how long a period of time was this carried out as well
4: so the the, the the reason why this study was a bit different from previous ones is that um, it's, uh, as, 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 as I mentioned, participants were uh, divided into different subgroups according to their mental disorder. They were all adult pa- patients and they were presenting in a acute suicidal crisis, as one might call it. Um, to uh, to the emergency department and then you know th- there is a number of ethical concerns that need to be borne in mind so people had to be able to sign a consent form and and so on and all these patients the the, the suicidal ideation was severe enough that they had to be hospitalized so these are people that then were followed up in in the hospital for for a few days um, they. Uh, The the, the other difference compared to other previous studies is that they received multiple administration of ketamine, but uh, they were also specifically assessed for for their suicidal ideation on the basis of uh, validated clinical scales that are very specific for that. Um, Whereas perhaps some other previous studies, they, they would just evaluate suicide, but using sub-scales of scales that are normally used for assessing depression, for example. So this was really one of the main strengths of this study. Mm. And uh, what kind
3: of doses uh, were given to people? I presume it wasn't exactly a strong dose, or did it depend?
4: Uh, I believe that the dose, is um, it's it's a medication that is given in, in, in this case, was given uh, intravenously um, so the dose can be calibrated uh, with qu- qu- quite a high degree of, of precision, if it makes sense, and it tends to vary slightly depending on, on the, the participant's weight. So there is a number of milligrams that are given according to someone's weight. Okay. And um, uh,
3: the the study, I believe, shows that this would only be a short-term use solution? This isn't something obviously you'd want to be giving people long-term because I'd imagine the long-term side effects of ketamine are not positive.
4: I think what this study shows, well, yes, we are talking about short-term outcomes. So first of all, what what we are thinking is that the, the, the idea would be to give ketamine for a short period of time but on because of potential side effects arising later on but on top of that this study didn't show because it didn't assess whether these positive outcomes were um, still seen on the on the long term uh, this is definitely something that further studies will have to assess mm. um, ketamine is being used um, in, in the context of depression, so for treating specifically depressive symptoms for people with depressive disorder. Uh, and uh, there is evidence that it works fairly well, um, especially in people who tend to um, not respond to commonly used antidepressants. But unfortunately, this effect, there is some evidence that it tends to fade a little bit with time, um, which, is, which is, of course, not really what what we want. And the fact that we see something like that in people with depression, for depressive symptoms, might might be a cue that something similar might be happening when we're using ketamine for other purposes as well. So definitely something that needs further assessment.
3: Mm. Uh, Ricardo, just wondering what are, you, what are you hoping can, what will you use this information? What will it be used for? Where do you see this
4: developing? <laughs> Uh, oh yeah this is uh this is obviously a very tough question um because on the one hand we I, I, I think anyone would be quite excited to see these studies study results but at the same time we need to be we need to be cautious in interpreting them mm. um maybe well, it's it's a bit easier if I think about it in uh, if I put two different hats if it makes sense if I put on the heart of a clinician then I would say this is very interesting information but before actually being able to using this 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 intervention for patients presenting with suicidal ideation I would like to see a bit more data Mm. Um, but it's interesting to know that it's out there and it's interesting to know that there there is research that has been done on these very significant problems and uh, some of these interventions they seem to work um if i put on my researcher's hat then uh, then i i'm particularly intrigued especially by the results of seeing a different um effect between people with uh, with uh, that background diagnosis of bipolar versus people with other diagnosis because it might sort of hint that the 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 process of thinking that leads these people that are su- su- suffering from from these suicidal thoughts might be different, just because they seem to respond differently to to the medication. So that, that I, I think that's that's particular a particularly interesting avenue for um, for further research, both from a biological and and a psychological perspective. I do Maybe attempt- at the end of the yes. day, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. And maybe at the end of the day, one thing to bear in mind is that even if a significant effect was seen for people uh suffering from bipolar, uh there was still a, a reasonably high percentage of people that didn't respond to either taking ketamine nor placebo. So there is still a reasonable number of people that unfortunately continue to have this problem. So uh giving medication like ketamine is definitely not, uh, it doesn't solve the problem entirely and much more needs to be done. The approach needs to be much more holistic and needs to include uh, assertive care by clinician involvement of the family and so on.
0: Yeah. And that's important to note as well.
4: And do you think, so
3: more studies will be carried out on this? Do you think further research will be done on it? Is that the intention?
4: I would I would certainly hope so the the I think I did mention in the editorial that there is a newer medication that was developed a few years ago that is called esketamine uh that for, for 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 a number of reasons is being investigated a bit more um assertively at the moment uh but that should really prevent uh, research to move on into these uh, older molecules like ketamine uh that might still have have some very important value, so yeah, I would definitely hope that more research is, is conducted. Hmm.
0: Now there are a lot of myths that surround the drug ketamine itself. Um, one being that it's a horse tranquilizer. Can you just explain to us what ketamine is legally used for?
4: Um, I mean, I mean, it, it is used. It is used as an as an anesthetic hmm. uh, at high doses. Um, and uh, it can be used in a better veterinary context, sorry. Uh, so it can be uses, used for anesthesia in, in horses and, and uh, it's got some advantages uh, as compared to other anesthetics. It's less likely to cause problems like respiratory depression and so on. Um, so it's 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 got it's got that it's use in, in in those contexts. But as I said, the, the sort of ketamine that is used in in a mental health context is is quite a different one, if anything, be, because the dose is massively lower. Uh, so of course, people they don't get uh, anesthetized, if it makes sense, mm. when they get this dose of ketamine. They might experience some. Uh, um, what we would call dissociative effects, okay, um, but uh, then these these were indeed observed in the study. Although the percentage of them was actually overall quite quite low. Again, perhaps proof that the dose of the medication used is actually is actually is actually very small. Mm.
0: And what are, is does it have very addictive qualities?
4: It, it is hard to say mm. um, it, it it can definitely be addictive for a number of reasons as we were mentioning earlier uh, there are some biological reasons for that there are some psychological reasons if certain people uh, do feel some specific effects and it goes and let's say hit their work center uh it can it can be addictive so it's definitely something that uh, we should be very very well aware of. Mm. Um, if you're asking me whether it is as addictive as substances like for example heroin or without having to go that far nicotine then maybe so just smoking cigarettes then maybe we could say that from a purely biological perspective it is not that addictive but still it is a medication that we need to be managing with extreme caution because it still has an addictive potential and each person might respond to that in a very different way. So uh, I, I think the authors were very clear in the, the study authors were very clear in their article that the the use of ketamine cannot become a, an indiscriminate use if it makes sense mm. and this is something that was remarked in the editorial uh, linked editorial that they wrote as well.
0: Okay. Now, um, Dr. Ricardo De Giorgi, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us and explaining the study in such eloquent terms. Thank you so much.
3: If you've been affected by any of the issues raised, speak to your GP. You can call 999 if it's an emergency or you can call the Samaritans for free 24 hours a day on 116.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
3: one two three you're listening to the room 104 podcast fm 104
0: it's trish and kev on room 104 now we've got porn director dick bush on the line here to tell us the secrets of the industry dick welcome to the show thank you for having me you're very very welcome now we really want to go back to the very beginning of your directorial journey when did you decide to be a porn director and how did it
3: come about is this a dream you had as a child?
1: <laughs> Not as a child. That would be a little creepy, I think. A little bit. Um, Perhaps. It, it was never something I wanted to do. Uh, I've always been a filmmaker. Even when, when I was a child, I'd always be playing with my dad's video camera. I'd grab it. I'd run around. I'd pretend it was an airplane and fly through stuff. And he was constantly trying to get it get it away from me. And I would make little silly films with my friends, uh, dressing up as secret agents and just silly stuff like that, running around with fake guns. And uh, and I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. That's what I wanted to do. I, I loved entertaining people and making movies, always loved movies. And I was at the London Film School. I was doing my MA in filmmaking there. And uh, I just graduated, and a colleague of mine was working for this company as a production uh, production manager for a company called Relish Relish Films in uh, in London. And it was this porn production place, and uh, he said, "Hey, Rick, you should come down uh, to to have an interview for for to be an assistant editor." And I said, at the porn place, really? <laughs> and he said, yeah, come on down. You probably won't get the job because they're looking for someone with experience. There's other people coming, but it's good experience just to have an interview. So I said, sure. Okay. Went down and they had me edit for 20 minutes, hardcore porn, which wow. really wakes you up. If you're not used to anything, <laughs> hardcore porn at 1030 in the morning. <sighs> and um, I was like, okay, sure. I had a sneaky look at what the previous guy had edited and he'd edited all of the acting bits leading up to the sex in this scene that we had to play with. So I figure they know that we can edit normal things. I'll just start at the blow job and just work my way forward from there. <laughs> and uh, as if in answer, one of the bosses, Harry, or Hazabigan as his uh, director name was, popped his head through the door and said, oh, and Dick, lots of close-ups, Okay. <laughs> and uh, give me a thumbs up. And 20 minutes later, they come back in saying, okay, Dick, how are you getting on? And I go, whoa, 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 just hold on. I'm just building up to a crescendo. Let me just put these clips down. Just wait, wait. And they drag me off the computer, send me home. And I didn't hear from them for a couple of days. And then my friend Alex uh, phoned me saying, do you want the job? And I was like, okay, I guess. this. I didn't expect to get it. But you don't say no to a job straight out of the film school, I guess.
3: So they must have really loved your, your cut, the, the flair that you, you brought to
1: it. I, well, I like to hope, I think so. I hope I so. so. I have a feeling it was just my name, though.
3: <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> the names, yeah. the porn names. Like, uh, as you mentioned, has a big and your Dick Bush. Is, is, is this part and parcel of the the porn scene that you have it to? Is. have Like
1: they hired me, and they they were like, "Well, surely we have to call you Dick Bush." Like my name's Rick, Rick Bush, and uh, and they're like, "Look, <laughs> we hired you because we can call you Dick Bush, so you're going to be Dick Bush, okay?" I was like, "Okay, all right, fine." <laughs> But yeah, that's a fun part of the industry is that you get to choose your your porn name whether you're a performer or or anything. It's always fun to have some kind of silly name in the credits.
0: Have you changed it by Deep Pole now? Are you officially Dick Bush or is it still Rick Bush on your passport?
1: Uh, on my passport, it's still Richard. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, Richard, so you're essentially you just left film school. This mm. is your first gig. What a way to start off your first directorial experience. Um, What was it like then starting uh, and what was your first film? Uh,
1: it was... It was weird because I was thrown in at the deep end a little bit. I they My, my first job was editing the latest film that they'd shot uh, a couple of weeks before I started. It was called The Cockwell Inn. It was about a pub called The Cockwell Inn and all the, the shady goings on in this pub. And I was supposed to rough edit it. So I was supposed to just put down a basic edit and then pass it off to my friend, Alex, who would then perfect the edit and put music on it and all this kind of stuff. But they were having problems editing their other movie that they'd done. There was lots of sound issues and he was working on that. And I ended up just editing the entire thing myself. Mm -hmm. And they were impressed with that. And they said, Hey, Rick, do you want to come and film our next movie? I said, okay, sure. And I mentioned I had access to a Steadicam and um, Harry was like, oh, wow, I've never used a Steadicam. Alex, have you ever used a Steadicam? No, I haven't. Rick, do you want to come and film using the Steadicam? And I was like, okay. So two weeks into the job, which I thought I was just going to be at a computer, um, I was on set, strapped up in this big Steadicam, way too much equipment for porn, by the way and uh, and filming people just going at it in front of me. It was very, very strange. But you're, when you're holding a camera, and I'm sure everyone knows this because everyone films on their phone these days, you're looking at a screen, mm. so you're a little bit removed. You're just kind of concentrating on the screen of this camera. And I've got Harry next to me going, okay, just move in for a closer. Okay, stay here. Okay, come back. Okay, move, move down. Yeah, yeah, like this, like this. He's just showing me where to go. And then I'm just, he's like, stay there for a minute, okay? watching the screen, but then you look up uh, over the top of the screen and you're just seeing two people just (laughs) smashing each other, just going (laughs) for it. Uh, 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 And suddenly you're just like, oh my God, this is the weirdest thing. You're like six feet away from me. So you just, you go back to the screen, you just concentrate on the screen and you're removed enough to keep everything in focus and make everything look nice. So So you were able to be professional on that first gig, were you? Yeah, yeah, just about. It was very strange. And I remember uh, going home on the tube afterwards. I was just like, all these people on this tube, they have no idea. I just shot a, a porn movie. They have no idea.
3: Amazing. Amazing. Um, t- talk us through what's uh, working life like on a porn set. Is it a is it a kind of nine to five thing? Uh, is there a lot of hustle and bustle going around? What happens when action is called? You know, talk us through the whole thing.
4: Well, a
1: usual day for us. Um, so if I'm shooting for Brazzers.com, uh, I'll arrive on the day. I would have seen... Uh, the script already, I know what we're doing. Uh, The guys at the studio would have built a set for us, whether it's a living room, we have a few standing sets. Um, And I set up lights, I put lights all over the place, I uh, attach them to walls and all all around, get it all nice and lit. Um, The female model will be in makeup for about an hour, hour and a bit or so. and then we have our little production meeting where we go through the performers do's and don'ts and we see what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. Uh, we show uh, their tests that they have to get done for STIs. So that we make sure that the other performer can see that they've got their tests or so it's all negative. And um, there's a sign in process. And, and then we start the acting basically. So we go through it and it's just like, I assume a normal film set is like, we just take it a little bit of a time. In our industry, the performers aren't exactly paid to be professional actors. They're, they're paid to do the other thing, but um, being a director, you sort of, you get some kind of a performance in those acting bits leading up to the sex out of them. And that's the fun bit, because every day is a little bit different for the, all the acting bits. The sex stuff can be a little samey, especially after 16 years in, in the industry. But, uh, but that's the fun bit, doing all the acting. And um, and then we uh, break for lunch. And then after lunch, we shoot the sex. And then we go home.
0: So when you say the fun bit during the acting, are you just going, you know, arse up, tits up? Or like, what are you exactly directing at that point?
1: So we have scripts, actual scripts. They might be five pages. There might be 10 pages. And there's always some kind of um you know, set up to the sex. If it's maybe it's um, we don't tend to do plumbers coming and fixing leaks anymore. But um, we've done some we've done some cool movies. Like I think behind me you can see the poster for the Power Rangers movie that we did there.
3: Ah, yes, yes, yeah. And we've
1: got Doctor Who up here. <laughs> Amazing that we did. So um, a lot of the movies that we make um, are kind of big budget, relatively big budget with special effects. And we built spaceships and things like this. And we have an entire storyline. We have extras who will come in to play acting only parts. And it's basically like a a little mini movie with sex.
3: But do you try, so, you know, you were saying uh, the part you... is interesting is the actual acting bit do you try and get the actors to emote do you like you know come and kneel down next to them and say no like this is the part in the Power Rangers movie where you've just gotten your powers and it's really do you try and get some you know gravitas out of them
1: You'd be surprised. Like, yeah, we've done, not everything is is silly. Like we have done a lot of uh, dramatic movies uh, where things go wrong or people catch people in situations or there's some kind of drama and people, ha- I, I've had to make performers cry or they've had to get into a really kind of emotional state. And yeah, you do sort of say, okay, this is the moment where this is happening and I want you to do this and I want you to feel like this. And sometimes, if they're not getting what you want, you can. Um, there are little shortcuts. So sometimes I can get really angry with people and saying, Oh, Jesus, we're going to be here all day. Like, I can't believe, like, come on, like, what are you doing? And that makes them frustrated. And then suddenly you get this performance out of them where they're frustrated. And if that's what you want, then that's what you do to get them there but <laughs> mostly we're making sort of fun stuff so i just need them to bring the comedy a little bit and play off each other and it's mostly about just making them feel comfortable there on the day and if they're comfortable and it's and you get this i this feeling that we're just playing you know we're hmm. just playing and everyone's happy and everyone's having a good time and uh and that brings the best out of them i think
0: well then is it as exciting as it seems off camera, like when we're watching it as it is when you're filming it all? Um you mentioned opening up for the camera and not yourself. What does that mean?
1: So some so opening up for the camera is is what you have to do in certain positions um during the sex. So We've all had sex here. We know that you're basically focused on yourself and one other person. Hmm. It doesn't really matter what you look like in these positions, but it's completely different for porn. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the camera. So you have to have one eye on where the camera is and you sort of have to open your body a little bit and get into these very awkward situations where you're sort of almost having sex from the side because it's not about you and it's not about the other person. It's about what the camera can see. So sometimes guys or girls can get a little too involved in the situation and I'll just have to remind them, okay, just just open up a little bit and they're like, oh yeah, right, there's a camera there, sorry. <laughs> and they uh, get back to it. So So are they getting so into
0: it that they're forgetting that they're being filmed? Like enjoying the moment.
1: Yeah, sometimes um like that people have chemistry with yeah. each, with one another and some the I've always said the best scenes that I've shot are the ones where I haven't had to direct it too much. I just let them get on and sometimes there's a lot of chemistry and you can tell and it doesn't matter that you can't really see the naughty stuff going on because it's nice that you can just feel that oh my god these guys are really liking this and that can be a lot more powerful than seeing a cop going to a, a pussy you know mm.
3: <laughs> but does and does that come across on film more does that come uh, out more that when two people have this obvious connection oh i think so i think you can tell
1: and i always i always try to get close ups of facial reactions as well mm. so i'll get wide shots i'll make sure i get close ups of certain bits but i always love to get reactions even even if i have to say oh just do that again just ha- make, make a reaction of that going in Uh, because facial reactions can express so much more than a penis can.
3: What's it like to actually direct uh, the physical sex scenes when, as you say, we've all had sex and it's, you know, it's a thing that happens. You don't necessarily want to be, stopping and starting is that jarring for you as a director is it jarring for them as a performer where you have to come up to them and say actually no can you just change positions there or do something different you know that must be a bit odd
1: it's not at all actually like that that's the job that's what it is for the performers and for me it's very very technical so yeah we've been talking about sometimes they get into it and it's very passionate but mostly it's um sort of an illusion because we're shooting it a bit by bit at a time and i'll say mm. okay let's uh do one more minute like this and then go into a blow job and then let's move into this position and i'll go okay action filming and then i might just say oh wait just do just do that one more time just coming to a close-up great okay back and action so i'll, I'll constantly be saying this one more time. Do this. Move that. But that's all part of it. And then it's up to the editor to take all this footage, cut out all of the um, the other bits, and just and make it seem like it just runs completely fluid.
0: Mm. Now the million euro question for me is: Does size actually matter, <laughs> especially on set?
1: It can do. So it, it's more utility-based, really, because you have to get into these situations, these positions where you're opening up and you're sort of having sex sideways. The bigger the guy's cock is, the easier it is for the camera to see what's going on inside. So you'll always get a nicer-looking scene. If the guy has a big cock, it means that we can see everything so much easier.
3: What are the challenges between... Uh, as uh, two people versus group sex?
1: Oh God, it is so much easier shooting two people. Because I've shot my fair share of group scenes and they're usually just utter chaos it's just it's madness it's like trying to herd cats and especially if they're because everyone knows everyone so everyone's chatting everyone's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you suck mine and then go over here or oh, nipples and i'm like oh no, guys stay in character what are you doing put that down i'm like a teacher in the classroom and i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be the dad of the of the the group in the in our work work in our workspace, but that's what I'm forced to do sometimes, is tell people off and go, just get things done. So are these actors trying to direct? Do they have notions that they can be the director? Um, on set sometimes, but a lot of uh, performers do make really good directors and they make really good sex directors because they've done it themselves. They know what looks good. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the performers do direct some amazing scenes. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. what's the best and the worst part of the job
1: best part of the job is when you uh when i see the finished movie of something that i've uh come up with myself written directed and edited myself and then that's out there and that comes together and put like putting it together as a final thing it just there's something about creating something that was once in your head and didn't exist and now it does that's that's the best feeling ever like the, the Doctor Who parody that we did we also did a movie called League of Frankenstein which had all these um, public domain characters like Peter Pan Frankenstein and Dracula and Tarzan all in this uh, one movie together kind of like Justice League meets um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen And these massive movies, which I never thought I would get the chance to make. And and I've had the chance to make. And some of them win awards, and that's cool as well. So that's the the best part of the job. Uh, The worst part of the job is probably having to deal with Danny D on set on a nearly daily basis. So I don't know if you guys know who Danny D is. (laughs) Tell us. He's uh, the number one porn star in the UK, international award-winning porn star Danny D, contracted to Brazzers. Um, he he's the guy who owns the production production company who hires me to shoot all the uh, the Brazzers stuff that we do. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for for years and years and years, but he can be a nightmare on set just because he's he likes to have fun on set sometimes. He likes to wrestle the production assistant, Josh. (laughs) I don't know why that is. Danny just seems to have a lot of energy. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I will come to work and he's wrestling Josh on the ground. And I'm like, what are you doing? We have to get things moving. (laughs) and uh, other times um he'll he'll just walk off set cuz he likes to just keep moving and he just he'll walk off set while i'm trying to direct him like has, no he's gone okay right well wait that's fine i'm like i've got a 2 hour drive to get home let's keep things moving danny and um but that again that's not really all that bad it's actually quite fun so we we play a lot of games on set as well at the moment, we're playing this game where if one of us does this with our arms up in the air, everyone else has to go like this. The last one to do it, we all point at them and call them a name. Nice.
3: <laughs> okay. you I don't answered. know why that started. I can't really remember, but it's, it's a nice atmosphere on set. But can, can it be kind of volatile, though, because you're dealing with these bodily fluids and um, ejaculations and things like that? Is there, is there any issues like that? Did the crew ever get splashed?
1: <laughs> I've I like to think I've been pretty lucky. Like I've shot maybe one and a half thousand scenes or so. And I think I've only been hit once. <laughs> maybe twice if you count a shoe. And yeah, like the guys when they when they ejaculate, sometimes they'll sort of do a little flick at the end, like this, with it. But then, but I'm sort of behind them with the camera filming down, and the guys can sort of flick, and then it can sort of flick back on the camera. I'm usually hiding behind the camera. I know that Danny doesn't want to ruin his camera. Okay. Yeah, it can happen.
3: Is there? And do you Passers guys have the job exactly? Do you guys have like rap part? Do you all go out for pints together after a shoot, or is that that kind of camaraderie, or is it very like? work and going home and that kind of thing
1: mostly it's just home at the end of the day because it is like mcdonald's we just you know churn them out we do a day and then that's that scene done uh next day is something completely different that one's done on to the next one but um we do after the big movies if we do a big movie then yeah we'll have a little wrap party and uh, a few drinks and stuff yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's problem.
0: been 16 years in the game for you. Do you ever see yourself maybe transitioning to regular films? Or I love to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always made short films, and I still make short films. And I've made a, a few YouTube videos, and I I made a, a comedy sketch show on YouTube called The Dick Bush Show. Feel free to to have a look at that, which um, is a comedy sketch show featuring porn stars. I have no idea how it's still on YouTube, but it's but it's on there. Um, <laughs> is there
3: is is there that stigma though about people in the industry who can't like, you know, there's a barrier to get into other forms of work?
1: Uh, I think there probably is. I'm sure there was. Mm. Uh, I think nowadays the whole industry has become very mainstream, especially with the onset of of OnlyFans. Like everyone. It's it's just there on the internet for everyone. Mm. And I think um, as long as you create something of quality that's worthwhile, that people want to see, does it matter if they've done porn in the past? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of actors who have done porn in the past who have then transitioned to uh, to acting.
3: Mm.
1: It's all about quality, I think.
3: What was it like during the, the pandemic? Was there... Porn being shot during the pandemic. I know you were talking about OnlyFans there and you you do some work for them. So what's the last two years been like for the industry?
1: So during lockdown, we just stopped filming completely. And after a while, when it seemed like we weren't going to be going back to work anytime soon, um, I just started working with individual models who would send me footage that they've shot and then ask me to edit for them and, or create promotional material or posters. And that's basically what I was doing during the lockdown was just sort of making editing uh, videos for models for their OnlyFans. Okay.
0: Um, what are you like now? Are you somewhat desensitized by sex now, seeing that you you're seeing it so often and it's on camera? Is it just a complete separation in your mind now of you know uh, maybe if the real sex and what you uh, are then filming?
1: I think there's a big difference between filming people have sex mm. to having sex yourself completely different. I mean, I'm trying to imagine what I would do if I walked into a room, there were people having sex in there and I didn't have a camera with me. And it was just sort of like, Oh, I've walked in on people having sex. Would I suddenly start directing them? Oh, you know what, buddy, if you, if you put your hand here, yeah, now really go for it. I'm almost thinking of creating a porn director app where if you're struggling with sex, you can go onto your phone, start the porn director app. And there's a little image of me going, okay, just take your time. Push, push it in. Yeah. Now just slowly. Now try to work it up. Yeah. Now grab her. That's it. Give her a spank on the bum. Now start really going for it. That's porn. (laughs) There might
0: be a market for that still. Could well (laughs) be. Could
3: well be. Watch this face. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah. uh, Would you recommend it as a, as a profession? Um,
1: I don't know. I guess if that's what you want to do, I, I get constant messages on Twitter and Instagram of people saying, Hey, I want to be a writer. I want to be a performer. I want to be a director, but there's not a whole lot of work in the UK. It's all, it's kind of limited.
3: Mm. Um,
1: I'm very lucky in that I work for a, a massive company like Razors who, um, a sort of international, one of the biggest. Um, I don't know. If if you're the kind of guy who wants to be in the porn industry as a director, you're probably a bit of a weirdo. Like <laughs> <laughs> maybe the, maybe they wouldn't make the the best director. I don't know. Okay.
0: And how long does a shoot usually take? Is it like over the span of it? it I suppose it depends on the project because.
1: Yeah, it depends on the project mm. for. A, we we spend about a day shooting our browser scenes, um, starting at about 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, um, and then finishing for 5 o'clock or so. It just depends how much we have to shoot. Uh, the more complicated ones, the movies that we make for digitalplayground.com, uh, they can be sort of 11 o'clock at night finishes, and we're shooting for maybe five days for five scenes and uh and then i'm just exhausted at the end like some days, some weeks where i'm working and i come home i'm just completely exhausted it's it's a lot of work a lot of standing up holding a camera like this my back is aching my neck gotta go to a chiropractor get a massage (laughs) just uh but do your mates think
3: you have the coolest job in the world (laughs) they do they, do. they, do.
2: Yeah. Well, they yeah, do. I actually
1: I have a filmmaker friend who, Who's made proper films Starring uh, Danny Dyer well, he's, got, he's got a Danny Dyer movie On Netflix right now And this guy is, uh, is Like oh, I wish I could swap jobs With you Rick <laughs> I tell him about my day And he's like oh I wish I could do that I'm like, you made a, a movie with Danny Dyer. You went to L.A. and made two movies for WWE. And he's like, yeah, but your job just seems so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: my final question for you, Dick, is, um, is there a lot of money in the porn industry?
1: Um, in the actual industry? Yeah, it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. Um but what about the directorial coming, side of things? For, for the director, it's it's probably depends on the director. Like I said, I've been very lucky with the companies that I work with. And I'm completely meticulous about the quality of the movies I make. If it's got my name on it, I like, I'm going to make sure that it's the best looking, best thing that it can possibly be. I almost want it to be... A film where If you could take out All the sex You could still watch it As a proper movie And enjoy it That's That's the That's the Dick Bush promise Right there (laughs) Nice one That's your guarantee Yeah (laughs) Yeah the (laughs) Dick Bush guarantee That's why (laughs) They pay me the big
3: bucks Exactly Exactly
0: (laughs) Oh Dick It was a pleasure Chatting to you Thank you so much For lifting the veil On being um, A porn director Uh, Thank you so much For chatting
3: to us Cheers Dick You're listening To the Room 104 podcast. FM 104.
0: That was Medusa and Becky Hill with Loose Control bringing us to the end of another Room 104.
3: What did you make a Dick Bush, Drake? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dick Bush is a funny man. Um, I loved how he kind of roundabout answered my question. Do you get desensitized by watching that much sex? Yeah. That's what I really wanted to know. And he seems to be like, you know, no, no, he's separated it all. Work is work and home is home. But I can't really understand how, after 16 years of seeing people just going at it like that and zooming in and zooming out, yeah. how you wouldn't just be like, meh.
3: You would be just like, oh, it could be any. You'd be watching like a nature documentary, is yeah, it? Yeah,
0: exactly. It just, you've, you've completely lost all, I don't
3: know, the all excitement
0: me- that comes with it, you know?
3: I would not be playing on your mind the whole time, like what you'd seen that day. Or After you can,
0: 16 years? How much can, how, unless someone came in and vastly changed it up. Yeah. Like,
3: <laughs> it's just like, insert in
0: out yeah
3: insert tab A into slot B and that's it chip chop and yeah bish bash bosh <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> yeah it's an interesting industry what did you make of it
3: um I think yeah it's a mad one I don't know if I'd be able to not take my work home or cause like he's editing at home too like you know it would be all around you you'd be surrounded by it you saw his office there was like posters and videos and all over the place little porn awards that he'd picked up along the way and I don't think there'd be any escaping it
0: isn't it like your gyno though who sees you know when she sees it all the time it's kind of like meh here's another one
3: yeah (laughs) maybe maybe (laughs) Yeah, it's it's an know. interesting industry.
0: N- not one I'd readily be a part of, no, I don't
3: think. No, yeah. probably not. Probably Let's not. just
0: enjoy sex in a regular way. Okay. For the <laughs> normal folks. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting chat, though. Thanks a Dick Bush, yeah, for coming on yeah, and chatting to yeah. us.
3: Great name, too. I know, right? <laughs> they made him change it. He didn't have to change that much, though, because <laughs> it was, Bush was already... It was like he was born to be a porn director. You <laughs> go, <laughs> Bush is your last name. Oh, she's, oh. Off. she's off. She's got... oh. <laughs> Cough attack! Oh Lord! Hearing yeah. at the bush again—it just <laughs> just set me over the oh, edge. God. Oh dear! Are you all right there? Yeah,
0: yeah. Sure.
3: <clears throat> back in action. Okay. Back in action. <laughs> well, speaking of back in action, the crazy lads on Breakfast, Jim, Jim, and Nobby will be back from six a.m.
0: Oh, the bright old six a.m.ers! Yeah. I don't miss those. No,
3: I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. It's way too early.
0: But they're good, crack. So they tune are. in.
3: <laughs> they are.
0: And we're back tomorrow from 10, right? That's it. The later time of 10. Yeah. So until then, bye. Take it easy.